eBay auctions may soon change forever because your credit card now may be charged the moment you win an auction. Will this prevent shill bidding and non-payers? Is this a good thing for the hobby? We'll tell you what we think now. Sports card investors, and welcome to another episode of Cards on the Table. And boy, do we have a big one today because we have some big auction news. Teapot, Doug, there is nothing that I hate more in life than listing an item for sale on eBay, having it go through an eBay auction, being happy with what the item sold for, except I never get paid. I never get paid. So I don't actually get that money. Now I have to list the item again. And then the second time it sells for less because the market has changed. Oh, that's just a big womp womp feeling after being so excited the first time. But this happens, unfortunately, to a lot of people. It's a problem with non-payers after auctions. And you also have shill bidding as well, which can drive a lot of people crazy and, and have those types of results too. But it's possible that that is all changing now. There has been talk about eBay having... They're currently beta testing what is called auto pay, which is it's going to charge the credit card of the buyer right when an auction ends. We got to give a shout out to Neo Sports Cards, Northeast Ohio Sports Cards, that did some videos on this earlier and, and exposed that eBay was starting to go this path. What do you think of this teapot? Is this what eBay needs to do? Is this good for the hobby or is this actually going to prevent some people from wanting to buy and bid on eBay now. I will say I may miss the comedy of all the excuses that get posted on social media, the ridiculous, you know, my dog fell off a ladder and landed on the bid button and all of these things that we hear. But this is, I mean, really, it's long overdue. The feature actually exists now for buy it now best offer type situations. So I've had it now where I go in to make an offer and it's like, okay, which charged, uh, card do you wanna charge? So obviously now rolling this out for auctions is a good thing. There's two major things that I think they need to really solve for related to this. One is combined shipping. Obviously today, I can put a whole bunch of things in my cart, I can send the best offer, and it'll permanently add it as a committed to buy in my cart. And then, you know, in theory, I could request a combined shipping invoice. Now, whether it's auction, buy it now, whatever it is, it's gonna be like, oh, pay the $5 shipping, pay the $5 shipping, pay the $5 shipping. Will sellers be diligent about then sending you a appropriate shipping refund? How are they gonna work through that? I think that's an important question to figure out. Uh, one of the things that's also kind of frustrating is, with the current best offer system, you can't use existing eBay funds that you have saved and you also can't use your PayPal. You have to put it on a credit card. A lot of people, even myself included, have shifted to saying, I have a fixed bucket of funds that I wanna make sure I stay within for the hobby. Well, now you can't do that unless they fix that process. So I'd, I'd like to see that corrected. The other thing that I'm just wondering is, what if the card declines? Yeah. What if the person still is running the same racket what are they doing to those buyer accounts to make sure that you can't just make all these bids and then have your card declining? Whoops, I guess I won't be able to pay for this. I forgot I had to buy my groceries this week or whatever types of excuses may come from that. Yeah, that's true. It's not a solve for everything. The combined shipping is interesting. I would think that they could eventually address that by having some type of settings sure. where if somebody buys you know, multiple auctions from the same yeah. seller within a 24-hour period, the seller could have some setting on the back end to do that all automatically, which frankly, the current system isn't a great one yeah. where you have to contact the seller and the seller has to invoice yeah. you. I don't love any of that. So 
hopefully they can solve for that. Whatnot has solved for that yeah. in their own live streams and how that works. If you buy multiple things, it can automatically reduce the There are some settings as a seller that yeah. you can put into place to say add 50 cents for every additional card. But will not, it all apply sellers, to auctions? not all sellers take advantage of that. Yeah, and will it apply to auctions? That we need that to apply to auctions for that to work. Doug, what are your thoughts on all this? Well, in theory, it's good. It's overall a good step forward towards preventing things like shill bidding. Um, but there's still ways around that. You talked about what if your card declines. Well, you could just make up a card. You can make up a privacy card to use as your form of payment that will decline every time. So you could still get away with this. One of the biggest problems they have is there's no accountability for things for, for non-payers. They say there's some sort of three strikes three strike rule if you report them as a non-payer, but then you have to wait five days before you can even report them. There's no negative feedback anymore. So more accountability, you know, something like my slabs, where there's a complete no nonsense towards that kind of thing would be an, another added step that I think would, would need to be fit in there. But yeah, I mean, if I were building my ideal marketplace, this is one of the rules that I would implement for sure. Um, you know, there's some other things I'd probably add in there, like no question marks in your titles. So you can't say PSA yeah, 10, 100%. Uh, no emojis in your titles yeah. and things like that. We can nitpick, uh, as, you know, a ton of different things that would make an ideal marketplace, but this is an important step for sure. Yeah. Does eBay somehow need to do more verification of like new accounts, wouldn't that help as well? I know like other, you know, PWCC, Golden, you have to actually be financially qualified if you're going to bid on stuff above a certain level. Does eBay need to implement that or is their marketplace too wide and that's just going to cut down too much on the number of people buying? Well, I could see that being a good thing. I don't expect them to necessarily do that. I just, uh, that's based on kind of their own track record and they just want to encourage, seem to encourage transactions and I get it. It's a big marketplace. There's also just probably a huge volume that that would be difficult to scale on. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I, I don't know, but what I will say is I am encouraged by the change. As Doug said, I don't think it solves every problem, but I think it's a step in the right direction. And there's nothing more frustrating than those auctions ending and you're not getting paid for them. And if this helps cut that down at all, then I think it is a win for the hobby overall. So I am excited about it. Kudos to eBay for making changes to their platform. I know it's not easy with how big of an organization they are and how many people are buying and selling on their platform on a daily basis. So kudos for the, to them to try to make things better for the sports card hobby. Speaking of better for the sports card hobby, there are some nice cards right now. I would like to pick these up and add them to my PC because they will make my PC better, including a beautiful 2018 Josh Allen gold out of 10 from Rookies and Stars, his longevity signatures gold. That right now is on pristine auction for sale. I might take a swing at that. Doug, what do you have your eye on? Speaking of ideal marketplaces, Pristine, one of the things they do that I love so much is low to no seller fees, depending on the value of your card. But moving on from that, I'll say that there's an Obsidian card I have my on. You guys know I love Obsidian. There's a Cade Cunningham RPA to Damn. 25, a PSA 10, and I'm kind of a sucker for Obsidian, so. Yeah, Obsidian's beautiful. What about you, t -Pot? Maybe I'll outbid him. Another guy that I was high on that I regrettably didn't buy any cards of for some reason is Corbin Carroll. He's obviously had an incredible year, Rookie of the Year uh, candidate. And he has a nice on-card auto out of Bowman's Best. It's a rookie card. Uh, best of 19 autographs, green refractor to 99, BGS 9.5, auto 10. Those are nice. Those, All those cards and many, many, many more are available right now on Pristine Auction, pristineauction.com. And if you go register on pristineauction.com and use promo code SCI when you sign up, because they're going to give you $10 in free credit that you can spend towards any of these auctions or the thousands of other trading card auctions on pristineauction.com. All right, T-Pot, we're going to jump into this next topic. This was from your Data Dive video recently on the Market Movers channel about your biggest flip ever. Tell us about that, and then let's have a little 
little talk here about uh, some of our biggest flips. Yeah, pulled back the curtain a little bit and went into my collection and showed some of the cards. And while I may not have bought a lot of Car Corbin Carroll, I did buy a good amount of Shohei Otani before the season. And I talked to the team here about it. I was talking to friends and trusted, you know, part of my hobby community. And I just realized Otani really was the guy. I mean, it wasn't a, it wasn't like a huge rocket science moment, but it was like the more I thought about it, the more I decided, contrary to what I've done in the past, to really put most of my eggs in one basket into Otani and to take hobby funds that I had had built up and put them into him. And that big card was that gold refractor, which you thankfully helped me finalize the deal with when you went out to California, hand delivered it. I got a few cards in return plus cash. And that was a really, really big flip. So, you know, some, some things work out. Otani, obviously those cards could keep going up in value, but I've always said, I'll take the profit when I get to, you know, nearly double what I paid for something and just keep looking to move on. Yeah, no, that's that. Any, anyone who bought Otani cards in the off season or before has some big flip opportunities right now with those cards. Thankfully, I bought a few at the Burbank card show back in February that I went to. By the way, the next Burbank card show coming up Labor Day weekend. I know, I know, I know you and I are there. going to that. Yeah. We're both excited about that for sure. Um, but that was a good opportunity to buy Otani because that was before the World Baseball yeah. Classic, yeah, the well, last one back in February. I picked up about $10,000 worth of Otani cards there and very happy I did. I've already sold a few of them off. Wait, I've didn't got you trade them for Desmond Ritter? One or two. I did trade one for Desmond Ritter. That's a whole nother conversation. Oh, how, how about you, Doug? What are your bigger flips? Um, the biggest is probably Erling Holland. Mm -hmm. um, I was big on Erling Holland in 2020, and I was joining a ton of breaks, buying that spot, uh, you know, in every break that I could because the wax was so cheap back then. Still, uh, I don't know how many big flips I've made off of individual Holland cards. I was buying singles as well and, and sending them off to grade. I had at one point the entire population of his finest refractor in a PSA 10. I had the whole pop count of six at one point. Um, yeah, it's got. That's probably the correct answer. Also, Marvel cards. Marvel cards. Right before I was, I was probably two months before the really big boom. I was buying boxes and just opening, opening on YouTube and having a lot of fun with it. And then they exploded, and I still had a lot of sealed product left, and I had some slabs, and I had complete raw sets, and I'm, you know, I did really well off that as well. Yeah, yeah. There was definitely been a lot of little opportunities like that over the last. Just few luck years, sometimes, though. For sure. Well, I'm not going to spoil it this Sunday night on the Sports Card Investor Channel. I'm going to be talking about a flip that I made at the National, which I made a quick $20,000 on a flip. So you'll have to tune in Sunday night on the Sports Card Investor YouTube to see that. But biggest flips of all time, my mind goes back to I bought one of the Jordan 86 Fleer BGS 95s at the National in 2019, oh, yeah. paid $14,000 for it, sold it for 56000 not too long ago. Uh, that's not a bad flip. Uh, actually, a lot of those cards I bought in 2019. I bought a Joel Embiid card for 800 bucks that I sold for um, for a little over 5,000 just recently. I bought a uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander card for 3,000 that I sold for 15,000. So a lot of that 2019 days. purchasing has has paid off. Unfortunately, the purchases from 2021 not so much. So you win some and you lose some. All right, guys, we got more great topics. We want to talk about the. Troutani card impact on the Tops Now market. We also need to talk about PWCC, I Appeal, NBA, Black Diamond. Are they worth it? But first, a quick break.
Guys, grab that Sports Card Investor app in the App Store on your phone. It is completely free. Just search Sports Card Investor on the App Store on your phone. Okay, first topic from our mailbag suggested by one of our listeners in the YouTube comments. They want to know about this Troutani card that became so crazy popular last week when, when Mike Trout posted images of, of that card where, where Shohei Otani striking him out at the end of the World Baseball Classic, but it was signed by Mike Trout, it was signed by Shohei Otani, it was slabbed, and he got a copy for himself, as well as for Shohei, as well as for Shohei's interpreter. That caused buzz around that card, prices shot up. My question for you is not about that card, it is about, do you think that actually causes greater interest in tops now in general? There's also Panini Instant, which is Panini's version of this. Do you think Tops Now and Panini Instant could have more of a place in the sports card market in the future? Not necessarily. So my take on this topic has generally been this. And um, when it comes to those Tops Now cards and the Instant cards, the ones that tend to do really well and, and hold value over time, it's usually because of an unexpected reason. We could all see the Judge 62 home run Tops Now card coming really high print run and it's meh, meh. same thing with like Ellie De La Cruz debut we you know everybody knew that that Topps Now card was coming out really high print run yeah and then the Otani and Trout everybody saw that coming as well but this had an unexpected event that propelled it the right. you know the dual autos and numbered out of three and things of that nature uh, and then you go back and you look at some opportunities like I'm gonna go back to Erling Holland right Erling Holland has a Topps Now card it was his first ever hat trick in the Bundesliga and it's one of his first cards ever in 2019 in there's less than 200 of them printed. And that card is really, really desirable. So it usually has to be something you don't expect and you don't see coming for it to, to hold up long-term. Either an unexpectedly low print run or something like this has to happen to make it that desirable. One nice thing about the Topps Now cards and the, and the uh, Panini Instant cards is they do give the manufacturers the ability to get a card out for somebody who maybe doesn't have a card yet, yeah. as, you know, as, as, as Doug was just saying, or respond to some type of event that happens in real time that they wouldn't ordinarily be able to capture in one of their releases. So what are your thoughts on that? Are these investable? Do you like these? What are your thoughts? I think it's cool that they can commemorate events. Uh, I will say the biggest thing deterring me from buying them is I don't like the way they look. Like the Now logo looks tacky to me. If it was like a foil embossed Now on there, it looked a little classier. I think that'd be really cool. I think it would actually drive the value and the, the, the demand of the cards up a little bit more. I have a, a Miggy that Nick from our team gave me that's a cool one commemorating you know, a key, a key event for him. Are they investable? I don't really think so. I think generally these are collector cards. Investable cards are the iconic ones, are the ones that are established by the market, rookie cards, Bowman autos, these types of things that that's what everybody goes to. No matter how many thousands of different variations of a card exist for a player, rookie or otherwise, there's specific ones that are always going to be the iconic investable pieces. The rest are, you know, cool collector cards that'll go into PCs. I also kind of just gravitate toward things that at one point were in a pack yeah. and randomly pulled by somebody, right. not just printed out on demand. To that point, though, I'll say one caveat is that Topps now does have serial numbered cards. Yes, so they that do. is they do. sort of the element of, of pulling something yes. out of a pack, getting that serial number. Yep, version. that was smart. A lot, lot of great conversation there. Good conversation, hopefully, about this next one as well, because I got opinions, strong opinions about this one. The value of MBA certification, MBA diamonds, PWCCI appeal. So what this is, is this is where if you, if you have a card that's, let's say, graded PSA 10, or it could be in any grade, 
And there's a company called MBA. They're actually now connected up with, with PWCC. Mike Baker Authentication is MBA. And he'll actually look at the card. And if he says, like, if you have, like, let's say a PSA 5, and if he's like, this is one of the best PSA 5s out there, it's super clean, he'll give it a sticker. Different levels, silver, gold, black diamond, meaning absolute top grade, top card possible within that grade. So it's almost a grade within a grade. PWCC I appeal, same type of idea, but more from the, the standpoint of how does this card look visually, particularly helpful in my opinion when it comes to vintage cards, because as we know, you know, not every SGC3 is alike, and sometimes you find an SGC3 with really great registration and really great color, and it looks beautiful, and then you find the exact same card in an SGC3 where the registration's off, the color's off, and so this kind of helps try to determine between that. But do you think these things are really important when it comes to the market, when it comes to pricing, when it comes to investing in cards? Do you look for this stuff, Teapot? No. I'm going to take vintage and put it here because I think that's a totally separate beast. And the eye appeal thing makes sense on that. I, I kind of get that. At the same time, if you're buying a vintage card, you're the one making the, the judgment about eye appeal. It shouldn't be some other authority. Here's where I take issue with this. We already have this artificial scarcity of grading to where you and I can send cards off that we inspected thoroughly and saw nothing wrong with and somebody decided subjectively that there was something wrong that we don't even know what it is, that can be the difference of thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars in price for the card that otherwise looks the same to you and I. Now they're saying, I'm gonna take your already slabbed card in a slab that might have scratches and other things and make another determination about the quality of the card and that to me makes no sense. I don't really understand how at the National PSA and Beckett were evaluating cards in slabs and then saying, We'll cross this or we'll regrade it. Somebody walked up to our booth who had a BGS95 Albert Pujols SP Future Watch rookie card that was a BGS95 since 2002. He brought it to Beckett. They reviewed it and said, we'll crack this and put it into a black label for you. <laughs> How did they do that? If a black label is supposed to be like this, perfect, how can you possibly evaluate the surface with all confidence to say this is a black label? So to me, slapping a thing on here, the other problem is, no disrespect to Mike Baker, who's holding him accountable to this? How do we know that he, there's not some kind of like, uh, dare I say, hanky-panky going on, you know? There's no pop reports. There's no, you're on the hook for doing this. If I'm paying extra for that, I think it's silly. If I'm a seller, maybe I understand doing it. I don't know. Okay, all right. I disagree, but we'll get into that in a second. What do you think, Doug? Uh, my statements that I typed in here almost mirror teapots. Uh, it does nothing for me personally. It's completely irrelevant on ultra-modern. But the older the car is, I get the card is, the more important something like that might become. But when a card is already slabbed, we've already decided either as the person buying that number grade or as the person who sent that off in the first place, we've already decided to trust the judgment of that particular grading company. I don't need somebody else to grade the grader's grade. At that point, I'm just sort of defeating that purpose, right? Um, as a seller, I can understand why you might opt for a service like this if there's a way to potentially enhance your value yeah. or as a collector, if you want to, you know, if it's a Jordan, it's an 86 Fleer, and you want the best of the best, and you have the means to get the best of the best, what can make yours stand out from the other guy's 10? That might be a, just a little bit of a bragging right type thing. We see a little bit of this with like what TAG is doing with their grading process. Mm -hmm. TAG actually has a ranking. They're grading sales out of a thousand, and you can see where you rank in that particular card. So I can understand some of the appeal of it, just doesn't do it for me. Okay. We're you out got, of time. You, got, you, you tell got, us why. You guys are wrong. wrong. I'm sorry, we're out of time, but you guys are right. Briefly, I've, I've had Mike Baker go through a whole bunch of my cards. I think it's very important for important cards. Nothing could be more important than the 1986 Fleer Michael Jordan PSA 10. That's vintage. Not, well, kind of. Not all PSA 10s are created equal. 
there is a, and if you look at a bunch of the Jordans, For sure. there's a huge difference between the centering and, and just the overall eye appeal of certain Jordan 10s versus other Jordan 10s. I think, and, and, and by the way, the market agrees because if you look at some of those types of cards, what a gold diamond MBA or what a PWCC eye appeal of a good yeah. rating will get compared to one that doesn't have the sticker, there is a difference. There's a noticeable difference sometimes in the secondary market. But I agree with you, this is more for the iconic cards. Yeah. It's certainly for vintage and it is for more of the iconic cards throughout time. It's, it's probably not for a 2021 no. prism. It's not gonna make that no. much of a difference, I don't think, for sure. But anyway, good discussion for sure. We appreciate your questions. Leave us your questions for next week's episode in the YouTube comments right now. And go download that free Sports Card Investor app. If you already have it on your phone, give it a try. If you haven't got in for a while, see what's new. It now features 2 million cards or thereabouts. So check it out. Give us a like and subscribe. We'll see you soon for the next episode. Take care.